0: It is threatening the viability of retail. It is threatening the reputation of Illinois and Chicago. Can't tell you how many times I've had personal friends call and say, hey, is it still safe to come to Chicago? And if it is safe, where should I go or not go? That's a frustrating conversation to have.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Ben Zielinski, and we'll be your host this week. This week, we will look back at one of the major pieces of public safety legislation lawmakers passed in the final hours of the spring session. House Bill 1091 was a bill pushed by Illinois Retail Merchants Association President and CEO Rob Carr and Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul to crack down on organized retail crime and violent smash-and-grabs. The bill establishes and defines organized retail crime as its own type of Class three felony. The bill also makes people who direct the crime sprees guilty of a Class II felony, if over $300 worth of goods are stolen with the intent to resell the stolen items. Proponents of the bill also hope it will help law enforcement more easily target and catch people participating in the crime rings by encouraging more collaboration between police departments across multiple jurisdictions. The bill was sponsored by Senator Susie Glowiak-Hilton, a Democrat from Western Springs. It was initially a bipartisan effort with support from Senator John Curran, a Downers Grove Republican. However, Republicans bailed after the bill was amended because they believed it did not go far enough to put an end to the smash and grabs. Last week, I sat down with the bill's biggest proponent, Rob Carr of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, to talk about why he believes this bill will help Illinois businesses worried about violent thefts and how an agreement was reached in the final hours of negotiations. So on Saturday morning, lawmakers passed your bill on organized retail crime tell us about the bill and what the bill does.
0: Sure. Well, in short, it's driven by the ever escalating experiences we've been having in Illinois and other jurisdictions such as Philadelphia, San Francisco, LA, uh, Seattle, in terms of organized retail crime, targeting not just high-end retailers, which uh, capture the headlines, but retailers Uh, of all types and sizes, uh, heavily concentrated in the uh, Chicagoland area, but not exclusively. And it's an attempt to close what we view as gaps in the enforcement areas uh, uh, and in our laws, um, help better combat um, these criminal rings. And that's really what they are.
1: So you proposed this legislation several months ago back in February with Attorney General Kwame Raul And then it was introduced uh, about two weeks ago with a bipartisan group of sponsors. Then the bill seemed to kind of stall out a little bit, and it ended up having several amendments to it and being one of the last bills that lawmakers heard this year. Tell us a little bit about the negotiations and the conversations you had with lawmakers and the other stakeholders between the time it was introduced and when it was passed this year.
0: Sure. Well, you know, I guess I'll start in... A little bit of reverse order appearances can be deceiving in the legislative process, right? Just people just expect something to be introduced and then happen, um, and, and as you know, Ben, it doesn't work that way. There's stops and starts to everything. We actually started several months before gathering intelligence with our asset protection professionals at member companies, particularly our national members, um, who have been and focus on organized retail crimes for years, uh, as and have sat have seen this, you know. Uh, at this grow exponentially throughout the United States and, frankly, the world. Um, then we took those, and, and in the meantime, Attorney General Kwame Raoul recognized early on uh, just how per- pernicious these crimes are, um, how pervasive they are, and how bad they are for uh, not just the state uh, and the communities we all live in, but you know uh, the nation as a whole. And um, He and Irma entered into an early partnership, so we developed additional concepts with them. And then we began the process of vetting those concepts with various constituencies, law enforcement, uh, Black Caucus, Hispanic Caucus, uh, moderates, uh, downstaters, uh, states attorneys, you name it, uh, ACLU, uh, you name it. There were groups uh, that we were in front of uh, talking to and with this about this language.
1: Yeah. So what was kind of the involvement of the attorney general's office in this process? Did you approach them about it? Did they approach you? Um, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday night of the last week of session, we even saw the attorney general in the Senate talking to a lot of different members going around with Senator Hilton to reassume a talk, talk about this legislation. You know, tell us about his involvement and the involvement of his office in crafting this.
0: Yeah, he was heavily involved uh, throughout the process, he and his staff, and they were wonderful to work with. You may recall, he started some uh, organized retail crime task forces uh, in the last third, roughly, of 2021, in, in which we were early partners with him. Uh, and then this partnership, as I mentioned earlier, you know, quickly uh, coalesced and, and developed into working on this legislation. And the attorney general himself was... Uh, Intimately involved, as you noted in discussions, uh, sometimes we were together, sometimes we were apart in a d- kind of divide and conquer strategy. Um, you know, he was often, you know, members of the Black Caucus. He was a former state senator, a former member of the Black Caucus. Often members of the Black Caucus wanted to talk to him directly, frankly, without his staff or without us present. Uh, and that's OK. Um, you have to trust your partners in these processes. But uh, he's been a very valuable uh, and essential component to the success we've had to date.
1: What were some of the objections to the bill you originally introduced with Senator Curran and Senator Hilton?
0: They were always kind of constantly changing. It was, a, it was a bit frustrating early on to get to the bottom line of what everyone wanted. There were, There's obviously sensitivities to the criminal justice reform advances that were made in 2021, um, frankly, uh, which Irma was supportive of several of those. You know, we, our, our efforts around criminal justice reform actually go back to the early 2000s. When we were the first business group and for a long time, the only one that embraced any sort of criminal justice reform, we were supportive of and actually convinced uh, a Republican senator at that time named Kirk Gillard to uh, vote in favor of expungement and ceiling, the first expungement and ceiling bill. And we have since been involved in those types of bills, as well as things like cash bail reform and uh, and um, uh, other types of, uh, you know, reform, rocket docket and and. other things that, that uh, allow people to, to have uh, not have to sit in jail for, for things, right? They can have smaller crimes and, and not have it mar their record. Ban the box, for example, we were for. Um, so I think there were sensitivities that this would somehow undo the advances that have been made to date, particularly the Safety Act. And uh, we had to um, listen a little bit, change our proposal a little bit in those areas where those good points were made. Uh, but also had to push back in areas and educate how this was different and where it didn't undermine the Safety Act. And I think at the end of the day, we wound up with something that uh, targets more appropriately uh, the ringleaders, but also addresses the individuals who are conducting smash and grabs. Um, and so I think, you know, you wound up in a better place uh, for it, at least in terms of initial steps.
1: When did you finally manage to reach a deal on Friday? It seemed like it was you know pretty late in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, it was, it was actually, I think, I think it was a fairly early, 1 to, one to two o'clock, you lose track of time. I was on what turned out to be a 24-hour stretch um, with no sleep, but um, it was somewhere in that range about two, two o'clock, or two, two-thirty, when uh, a deal was uh, finally uh, reached. And then, of course, you had to vet that deal um, with the uh, other leaders. You know, we had Representative Cam Buckner in the house who played an absolutely key role as long as Senator Glowiak-Hilton had to talk to this, the four leaders directly. We had Senator John Curran, um, a Senate Republican, who and, and leader Jim Durkin. Um, we had to work through concerns they had about uh, what they initially thought was possibly weakening it. Um, so it just, you know, it takes a lot to keep everybody uh, on the same page and working towards the same goal.
1: So let's get a little bit at kind of this problem here of smash and grabs and organized retail crime. For for people who might be wondering what exactly is organized retail crime and this problem that you're trying to solve? You know, we all see the images on the news, you know, at some points it seemed like once a week of people smashing through windows on Michigan Avenue to go steal from a store. Tell us what this problem we're trying to solve is.
0: Yeah. If I can Ben, I'm going to start with what it's not. It's Mm -hmm. not what we think of in terms of retail theft. We think of retail theft as a kid stealing a candy bar um, somebody stealing a can of soup or something uh, you know uh, you know a can of, or a jug of milk something like that that they need. Um, it's not always what they need and I will confess frankly to be a bit irritated that it seems to have been accepted that retail theft is no big deal uh, because it is a big deal. Every item that goes out the store makes it a lot harder for that retailer to make their ends meet. It's lost sales tax revenue for the community and the services which we all rely. But organized retail crime is even worse. And it is bands of people who band together. They're usually organized and they go from one store to the next. And they're literally, in most cases, fulfilling shopping lists. So you'll get shopping lists from other, some other criminal elements somewhere in the United States or another part of the world. And that gets its way to somebody else who gets its way down to the street level people. And they're charged with filling that order, essentially. Uh, and then those items are sold back and the profits are used to fund other illegal activities like guns, human trafficking, illicit substances, drugs. Um, it also takes the form, frankly, of just people who band together and um, you know, steal these goods and, and want to profit off of it. You know, they're not trying to make ends meet, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to really become rich doing it and the internet has become uh, their means of doing it. When I started this job, well we'll just say a long time ago, um, the, uh, you know, it was the, the flea markets and pawn shops that you worried about. And, and now you worry about, uh, you know, the Internet because everybody has a store on their cell phone or their iPad or their computer. And they can move a lot of merchandise by themselves, frankly, uh, using those means. Um, so that is really what it is. It's more organized uh, and it's a higher volume.
1: What are the businesses that have been victims of this telling you and and your association about how this is affecting them?
0: Well, it's affecting their viability. I mean, you know, this is the first time that we have seen um, this type of thing show up in corporate reports of publicly traded companies as a problem. We know that a grocer closed a store in the city of Chicago because they could no longer uh, justify keeping it open. Um, And theft was one of the two reasons they gave for that. Um, We have seen everything from the high end, um, which I said earlier, makes the headlines, you know, Mag Mile, um, malls, but we've also seen, you know, independent shoe stores. There's a West Side shoe store. They've been hit four times in the last year. Um, There's a consignment shop in Lincoln Park. There's an apparel shop in Englewood that's been hit a number of times. So they really look, you know, criminals, as I mentioned earlier, like the easy road. They find uh, targets of opportunity and they strike hard and fast. And um, it, is, it is threatening the viability of retail. It is threatening the reputation of Illinois and Chicago. Can't tell you how many times I've had personal friends call and say, hey, is it still safe to come to Chicago? And if it is safe, where should I go or not go? That's a frustrating conversation to have. People wanting to draw people back to work downtown, which is the only way Chicago is going to fully recover from the pandemic. Uh, the, one of the top reasons they give for not wanting to return to the office is safety. We're never going to get 55 million tourists back if we don't address safety. And safety isn't just addressing organized retail crime. There's other elements to it. Uh, You know, there are, as you know, bills passed around carjacking, and we'll have to have other conversations, I'm sure. But this is a step in, in addressing at least this portion of it.
1: A lot of the focus of this bill seemed to be on making it easier for multiple law enforcement agencies to work together to investigate and prosecute organized retail theft itself how will these investigations work under this bill?
0: Well, they'll work much the same way they might have in the past, except in the past, there's a couple things, man. Let me start over. The, the, there's some education to be done. There's still elements of law enforcement that don't see these things for what they are, which is connected, um, even loosely, but connected and linked to other things. They see them as one-offs. But it also closes, the the law that was passed also closes the gaps that I mentioned earlier, right? Illinois is one of, I think, three or four states that doesn't have a statewide ORCA, an Organized Retail Crime Association. That is an online platform that asset protection professionals and law enforcement uh, professionals at the federal, state, local level can sign on to, share intelligence, uh, both on individual cases or others. They can connect the dots uh, it's a real-time intelligence gathering and sharing platform that enables them to more effectively and more timely basis combat these rings. So the budget uh, actually contained a piece of this, and it will have monies for the development of that ORCA. Um, additionally, it, the budget had some additional monies for the Attorney General's office to have dedicated assistant State's attorneys and investigate assistant attorney generals. I'm sorry, and investigators dedicated to pursuing these crimes. That's new. Additionally. Criminals could hop from venue to venue, right? They could steal something in one county, transport it and sell it in another and store it in a third. And now any element of any prosecutor that gets that in their any element of that in their jurisdiction can try for the whole thing. There's no just running away anymore. Uh, You can get caught up uh, by any one of these prosecutors uh, or law enforcement agencies. So we think that's a significant step forward and laying a base for really uh, addressing and attacking these long term.
1: Is that one of the common problems that we've seen more recently with organized retail crime and, and smash and grabs? Uh, you know, groups of people targeting a mall in the suburbs, and but those the people who are organizing that crime are based in, in out of Chicago. Is that kind of one of the issues that we're trying to solve? And how prevalent is that? That's one of
0: the issues and it's very prevalent. You never know for sure where all the organizers are. They tend to be relatively close, right? You don't necessarily have an organizer, for example, in London or New York City, um, but you might not have the organizer in DuPage or Cook County or Sangamon County, right? Uh, their rings literally travel and travel from city to city or store to store. Um, so it's relatively prevalent to have multiple jurisdictions involved. And I should add, the proposal that was passed also gives specific authority under the statewide grand jury for the AG uh, on organized retail crime before he would have had proved up some sort of money laundering scheme. This allows him to go after it with just organized retail crime. So it provides yet another way um, for law enforcement to pursue this through the attorney general's office.
1: Senator Hilton in the Senate Executive Committee on Friday night said, one of the things this bill is really meant to do is target the big fish of organized retail crime. Who exactly are these people and how is this bill going to get at them specifically?
0: Well, it's going to it's gonna require, you know, this goes back to the intelligence gathering and sharing platform, right? You're going to have to, law enforcement still going to have work to do with our asset protection professionals. You're going to use traditional methods that you currently have for working your way up the chain. But once you get to these individuals, um, you'll have a better means of getting after them. And um, currently, you know, under, under the proposal now, if all of their uh, underlings, their, their workers, if you will, steal an aggregate of $300, then they fall under ORC. That's a good low threshold that doesn't open up any um, uh, windows, but it does make sure that the uh, individual working by themselves, uh, or perhaps more appropriately, uh, stealing something out of need or for themselves isn't unnecessarily caught up in ORC. Um, but it allows law enforcement to pursue these bigger fish uh, and get after them. One of the changes that was in, one of the ideas that was in there originally was also to include RICO. That was one of the provisions that was knocked out as, uh, during discussions. But it was knocked out. Uh, you, know, you know, it gets a lot of attention because people seem to understand what RICO is. But you have the same effect with the statewide grand jury, and RICO is exceedingly hard to prove. I think there's been you know one or two RICO cases that might involve this in the last decade. We see it more around political corruption or the mafia. Um, so I, I don't think uh, anything was given up other than when, when we decided to uh, uh, take that out of the bill.
1: And for the people who aren't familiar with RICO, what is, what is that?
0: Racketeering, influence, corrupting officials, something like that. I, I'm, I'm butchering the name, but it's, it's, a, it's an acronym for RICO. It was first passed by the federal government back in the, I believe it was the late 70s, mid to late 70s. Um, it was used most notably uh, by then-U.S. Attorney Giuliani in New York to take down the heads of the five mafia families. Uh, that was the first real application of uh, that I'm aware of, of RICO to um, uh, you know the racketeering or the criminal enterprise type approaches. But again, our attorney general has that same sort of um, tool available to him now through statewide grand jury.
1: Mm-hmm. And these big fish people, as Senator Hilton said, you know who exactly are they? Are these you know gang leaders? Um, are they you know what what do we know about the people who lead these kind of organizations and get you know some in some cases young children or teenagers to participate in these crimes?
0: They can literally be anyone. They can be middle class. They can be um, you know bored wealthy or young people. Uh, they can be gang leaders. They can be. Uh, you know, folks in uh, more uh, needy neighborhoods who have, you know, organized. Uh, it, it literally can be anyone uh, who's looking to profit, monetize, um, and utilize those profits for other, other things. We've even seen, you know, married couples who uh, s- stole, uh, I think there was a case in Cicero recently where a married couple stole just under a million dollars worth of goods, I think, from uh, some distribution centers before they were caught. Um, so it, it's literally anyone.
1: Senate Republicans said the bill was watered down after the amendments were introduced on Friday, and one of the things that they pointed out in the debate on the on the Senate floor was the Cook County State's Attorney's office and their policy not to prosecute misdemeanors under a thousand dollars. Do you think this will be a problem for getting justice in these cases, or any sort of barrier to prosecuting organized retail crime specifically in Cook County?
0: Well, first, let me say, Ben, we share that frustration, right? I think that the policy has proven to be a failure itself. uh, To her credit, Uh, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox admitted publicly that she probably needs to rethink that policy. Now, that was several months ago, and we haven't seen any formal announcement around it. Um, But I think that goes to the strength of the proposal that has now been passed and is on its way to the governor. By giving other other states' attorneys the ability to get at this, to give... Uh, law enforcement, the option of going straight to the attorney general and pursuing it through a statewide grand jury, is a way around those types of uh, problems. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't uh, share the thought that it uh, uh, weakened it. Um, the problem, you know, no one could provide us with a solution for that problem. There are two U.S. Supreme Court decisions from the mid-80s, which make it very clear that the prosecutorial discretion is nearly inviolable. Um so there's really not a lot we can do unless someone can change the Supreme Court's mind around those uh, th- those two decisions. Um, so absent that, we had to use workarounds, which I think uh, we found in working with other prosecutors and our asset protection professionals. Uh, it's not the neatest in the world. I'd love a more direct approach, but we have to deal with uh, the facts as they are.
1: Is the bill as strong as you wanted to see it? We'll
0: see how it shakes out. Um, you know, they're... they're you could always make a case, for example, for stronger penalties, but likewise, there are um, facts that you see that call into question whether stronger penalties really matter. Um, you know, I would love a more directability, as we were just talking about, um, to get around prosecutors who don't want to follow the law. Um, we'll work with our law enforcement agencies to see if they're in heightened awareness. There's a lot of education information that needs to be shared and done. Uh, around this crime and around the law and making people aware of the tools. So there's a lot of work still ahead of us, I think. Um, and, you know, to quote a, a legislative leader um, who shared with uh, me that, you know, if this doesn't do it, then we'll try something else. Um, but, you know, you, as we said early on, the criminals evolve and l- both laws and procedures have to evolve with them. And I think that's the case here where the law hadn't evolved quickly enough And this is a step in that evolution to address where criminals have moved to.
1: Rob Carr from the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. Thank you so much for taking your time today to talk about this bill with us. My pleasure, thanks for having me. Uh, Let's do it again sometime. House Bill 1091 passed the Illinois Senate on a 42 to 10 vote after midnight Saturday morning. It later passed the House around 4 a.m. Saturday on a 96 to five vote. The bill now awaits Governor J.B. Pritzker's signature. In a statement after the bill passed, Attorney General Raul said, quote, the criminal enterprises behind organized retail crimes rely on the theft and resale of stolen merchandise to fund and perpetuate the cycle of violence through even more dangerous illegal activities like trafficking drugs and firearms. House Bill 1091 will give my office and other law enforcement agencies the tools needed to continue to disrupt these criminal enterprises and combat the rise in organized retail crime, unquote. This episode of the Cloutcast was produced by me, Ben Zielinski, and edited by Alex Nickon. We'll be back next week with a new episode.